0: All right. If you have your, um, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Jude. Jude is a s- the smallest book in the Bible. It's right bu- before the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is at the end of the Bible. It's going to be reading from the ESV version. Jude. Jude chapter 2. Right, exactly. There's only one chapter, so there is no chapter. It's the shortest book in the Bible. Now, uh, before I read from the Scripture, uh, first of all, I just want to welcome everybody. Uh, Well, I guess you guys are welcoming us, more like. (laughs) Uh, But first of all, I just want to... Pastors Aaron and Pastor Aaron and I, we just want to commend Pastors Caleb and Mina. Uh, they're doing an amazing job of shepherding this local New Philly campus, and we are so proud of them. Do you guys appreciate Pastors Caleb and Mina? <laughs> yeah, come on, show them some love. God, God is using them powerfully here in the city of Busan, and they're just doing an amazing job of shepherding here. So... Uh, I want to say that you can never show them too much love or too much honor. You know, as you really love and honor them, uh, God's blessing will continue to flow into your personal lives as well. And I want to say that when you honor them, you honor me. And when you hear them speak, they're not speaking of their own authority. They're speaking out of my authority. And even the authority that I have is not an authority that comes from this Korean-American named Christian Lee. The authority that I speak out of is because of God the Father. Because he has set me as the set man and lead pastor over this movement. Pastors, Aaron and I have been set as the lead pastor, spiritual mother and father of this movement. And so our authority doesn't really come from man. It's not like there's a board of men that got together and said, we elect Christian and Aaron to take charge of this movement. No. There was a board in heaven called the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they said, we have some concerns about this gentleman named Christian. Aaron's all right. But Christian's got some stuff. But you know what? We're still going to call him and choose him and we're going to set him as a set man over this movement. And so that authority comes from God. And with that authority that I've been given by God, I have appointed Mina and Caleb to really shepherd and lead this movement. Everything that they need to be successful at bringing forth a dynamic, powerful, fruitful ministry here in Busan, they have. They have. Because the Spirit of God is in them the relationships that they need to access all of the graces that they need is all available to them. They have an abundance. They have an abundance. And Aaron and I just want to say how happy we are again. I just want to say how happy we are to be with you today, uh, especially to all the new members of the house that have been faithfully coming out and worshiping, going out to small group, and just learning more about Jesus, stewarding your inheritance, We are proud of each and every one of you. And we're also very happy that you guys were able to receive Pastor Benjamin and Sonny. And maybe Alethe here a couple weeks ago. And I I heard that Pastor Benjamin did his thing. (laughs) And I hope that you received all of the grace that God was releasing on that Sunday through him. You know, and I just want to uh, really say that uh, that is um, our mentor That's, uh, for Pastor Aaron and I, that's our spiritual mother and father. And they speak into our lives with great authority. And they keep us accountable. But not only that, they speak life into us. They take us to heights that we never thought were possible. They believe in us in such a way that we think we can take on the world. You know, and so when you really honor them, that was uh, very personally a blessing to us. So thank you also for receiving them here. And so it's a, it's a great joy to be with you guys here today. Uh, so today we're going to look at the letter of Jude, the shortest book in the Bible. This letter was written by Jude, the brother of James. Now this is most likely James, the Lord's brother, as the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. It's probably uh, the brother of James, who was the brother of Jesus. And it was written around A.D. 65 and between 65 and 80 A.D. Now, the author in this letter writes with a very pastoral heart. He's calling the church to contend for the faith. Everybody say, contend for the faith. faith. Now, some people say, defend the faith. I don't like that. We should never be on the defensive. We need to be champions. We need to contend. We need to fight. You know, a heavyweight boxer never wins a match. Playing defense the whole time, if he's all up against the ropes, that tells you he's about to, he's about to lose. When we contend for the faith, weighing up against the ropes, and the devil's all pummeling us, all right, we're like Manny Pacquiao in his heyday. Are uh, we coming at you? You know, and he, and he's still coming strong, right? Um, Manny Pacquiao's a boxer. He's a, he's a very very good boxer, by the way. Uh, and so the author calls the church contend for the faith. And then he gives us warnings about certain people that had infiltrated the church. I want you to read verse 4 with me. Look at verse 4. I'm going to read in the ESV. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ christ so the author here is giving warning against these people and then he uses old testament examples like the exodus solomon gomorrah to reinforce his warnings look at verse eight yet in like manner these people also relying on their dreams they defile the flesh reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones So he even uses, uh, later on here in verses 12 to 13, he uses very poetic descriptions to expose what these false teachers are like. He calls them hidden reefs, waterless clouds, fruitless trees that are twice dead and uprooted, wild waves with shameful foams. Very poetic, right? Wandering stars. Anyway, he uses all kinds of descriptions to expose these false teachers, all right? And so let me review the entire book for you. I know it's a very difficult task, but let me do that for you right now. So let's review. The false teachers, according to the book of Jude, they're described this way. Verse 4, they were designated for condemnation. They are ungodly. They pervert the grace of God. They deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, they rely on their dreams. They defile the flesh. They reject authority. They blaspheme the glorious ones. It's probably talking about angelic hosts. They blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by their instincts. Verse 16, they are grumblers. They are fault finders. I don't know what malcontents are. ESV, man. I don't know what language, what culture they're using. But uh, NIV says fault finders. Um, They follow their own evil desires. They are worldly Verse 16, they are loud mouth boasters. Verse 16, they flatter others for their own advantage. And verse 19, they are devoid of the spirit. So this is talking not about wandering sheep or deceived sheep. These are talking about false teachers. They are devoid of the spirit. What does that mean? That means that the indwelling spirit of God is not in them. Every Christian, when you get born again, the Bible says that the spirit of God comes to live inside of you as a deposit, guaranteeing the everlasting life that is to come. So once you get saved, you got the Holy Spirit in you. No matter what you do, you can't chase Holy Spirit out of you. But these men here, these false teachers are devoid. They're void of the spirit. They don't have the spirit. These men are wolves trying to come in like with sheep's clothing. And their, their behavior here is described very vividly for us by the writer of Jude. Now, what is the main result of these false teachers coming into the church? You got to look at verse 19. This is the, the fruit of their labor. Verse 19, they cause divisions. It is these who cause divisions. You ever wonder why there are so many divisions in the church? You know, for Korean Americans, and I'm a Korean American, so I'm going to speak about my experience, if that's okay with you. Korean Americans in America, they have so many experiences with church splits. And each side, they say, they claim that they're doing the will of God. Now, this lead pastor... He is chosen by God. You cannot resist him. And then the elders are like saying, no, he's corrupt. No, he's cheating on his wife. Where's the evidence? We know by prophetic discernment that he's cheating on his wife. And they go to lawsuits. They take factions of people and they start prayer meetings on their own. You know, that's like Roy here quietly working the sound system. But during the week, he's gathering a group of 10 people and having his own Friday fire. On Wednesday. <laughs> and he still calls a Friday fire. <laughs> like. Him getting together his own faction of people. You know. And then they start sharing prayer requests. But they're really grumbling about. How poorly Caleb dresses. And how, how terrible his leadership is. Or something like that. They still start grumbling. And causing the hearts of people. That have been faithfully coming out. To begin to turn against him. No. Now. Now, sometimes I think there can be deceived sheep that can lead such things. But you know what? I bet you a lot of time when we get to heaven, we'll find out. A lot of people who led these splits, they're not all Christians. Some of them are just straight, false teachers. They are, they are void of the Spirit. They do not really believe in Christ. They are coming. You know, you know, our pastor Joel here, our intern pastor here, he's visiting with us from Hillside today. He told us a funny story. A couple weeks ago, some of our pastors, they got ordained by the KAICAM, uh, Independent Korean Korean Association of Independent Churches and Ministries. They got ordained, and the ordination ceremony was at a huge mega church called Hallelujah Church. Big church, looks like a beehive. Huge, a huge church. Anyway, he'd never been there before. He's kind of new to Korea, so he got off the subway stop, got into a taxi, and asked the taxi driver, take me to Hallelujah Church. And then the taxi driver was like, Hallelujah Church, you mean the one in Yatop? And then Pastor Joel didn't know where that was. So he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, how many Hallelujah Churches can there be? (laughs) Take me there now. (laughs) So he went to this church, and he went inside, and these walls were huge and big, and there were these huge group pictures of people from all over the world, different congregations of this church. And he started to think, man, something's fishy. But then he saw people rushing in. He thought they were late just like him. So he just rushed in. And as he went in, he realized on the wall it said, uh, Our Heavenly Mother God, right? was it? The teachings of our Heavenly Mother in stone tablets. And he realized that he had actually just stepped into a huge cult that was actually a mega church size of a mega church is huge, right? It's pretty big, and he was just like, and then on the train ride down, he was just complaining, man, why well, come these cults have all these nice buildings? <laughs> and, uh, and we're still walking up five stairs or fl- steps at the E1 building, you know we're in these ghetto places, you know how come cults you know and and uh and he was talking about that, but you know, it kind of gets you thinking like, man, you know if you, I, I, I my theory is most of the people that are part of that cult. They weren't atheists who turned cult members. I bet you a lot of the cult leaders who are straight-up false teachers, right, they probably went into other churches and got the weakly sheep, the struggling sheep, the the ones that can't even really bad out, the ones that got the broken foot and limping all around, went to those sheep and said, come here, sheep. I'll give you personal attention. I'll give you everything that you need and took those sheep. And I bet you most of the people that are cult members at that church, some of them maybe even be Christians that are truly, they're just heavily deceived. These false teachers, man, they are ruthless. They go after the people of God. They are seeking to destroy the church of God. And so the writer of Jude here He warns against them because the ultimate result that they're going for is to cause divisions. The author not only warns against these teachers, but he pronounces judgment over them. And says they're going to get destroyed by aligning them to Old Testament examples of judgment, like Sodom and Gomorrah, and Cain, and Balaam, and Korah. If you read the accounts of what happened, they got judged. The earth opened up, swallowed them alive. That is the judgment of God. I mean, that is not like a coincidence. Like, oh man, a crazy earthquake happened the other day. <laughs> all the people that are part of the idolatrous sin. They happened to be where the earthquake split open and they all went in with their families and children. <laughs> no, nah, man, that was that was judgment of God. Right. That was judgment of God. Um, and so he, he passes judgment over these false teachers It says, you know, man, they they were they were Designated for this condemnation, man. So I mean, he's he's pronouncing a, a very harsh judgment. Then he gives us a bunch of exhortations, and then he ends the letter with a doxology. Now, I want us to look at this doxology. This is what I'm going to focus on today. Verse 24 and 25. Now, a doxology is simply a brief expression of praise unto God. Oftentimes, it has like a structure, like a haiku got a certain structure but this one doesn't follow that structure so anyway look at verse 24 and 25 now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only god our savior through jesus christ our lord be the glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now and forever, Amen. Everybody said, Amen. "Amen." Now, this doxology expresses the power of God to preserve His people. All right? The verse said, "To him who is able to keep you from falling." In fact, this doxology repeats in the active voice what the author already stated at the beginning of the letter in the passive voice. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look at verse 1. Look at verse 1. We'll read that together. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept Jesus Christ in the ESV but if you look at the footnote it can also be translated kept by Jesus Christ it's in the passive those who are beloved who are called who are kept so the author here in the end of Jude repeats what he's already established at the beginning of Jude but it's kind of like backwards at the beginning of Jude, he says it in the past tense, in passive voice. At the end of the Jude, he, t- he says it in active voice. Isn't that interesting? But it's not either or, it's both here. So the author is opening the letter and closing the letter with the same theme. And that theme is the keeping power of God. I want everybody to say that. Keeping power of God. Keeping power of God. The doxology is... Immediately preceded by eight exhortations. These are, they, they serve as antidotes to the false teachings that have infiltrated the church. I'm just going to list those eight exhortations. Uh, they begin in verse uh, 17. right? So he urges eight exhortations. He says, number one, remember what the apostle said. Number two, build yourselves up in your faith. Number three, pray. Not just pray, but pray in the Holy Spirit. Come on now. Remember the last message I preached when I was down here? Uh, some of y'all weren't here. It's okay. Talked about the power of speaking in tongues. And I got all kinds of emails, by the way, after that message from people who listened to it in New York. One gentleman, one gentleman was on a, an airplane. He was listening to it, and he got so bold. He's, he had his neighbors next to him. He said, I didn't care. I just needed to start praying right there. I need to exercise my gift. He started praying, and then tongues just start breaking out. Thousands of feet in the air. You know, It helps because you're closer to God up there, you know? <laughs> but you just start breaking out tongues in the middle of the airplane ride. Anyway, uh, number three, pray, exhortation, praying the Spirit. Number four, keep yourselves in the love of God, which means don't get bitter. Don't get all angry and uh, vengeful toward these p- false teachers. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Number five. Wait and anticipate the mercy of Jesus that leads to eternal life, because maybe some of them will actually turn from their ways. Uh, Number six, have mercy on those who doubt. In other words, have mercy, be gracious to those who are shaken by the false teachers. You know? So if Lydia Ra here, our community care pastor, gets a little shaken by the false teachers, all right, don't be like, Lydia, you're wrong. What's wrong with you? You're a pastor. Seriously, if you did that, what, what's wrong with you? You're a pastor. But no, it, it says to be merciful, be gracious toward her. Be like, hey, Lydia, maybe um, you haven't looked at this scripture. You know, maybe you're not looking at this. Like, be gracious, right? That's what he says. Number seven, to others, they get so deceived, you got to snatch them out the fire. You need to just be like, yo, yeah, yeah, yo, yo, Roy, I can't let this happen. Roy, I'm, I'm going to put you in a bear hug, and I refuse to let you go. I'm going to lock you up in my closet. No, don't do anything like that. But, you know, snatch them out of the fire. Do what you got to do is what they're saying. And number eight, to others, show mercy mixed with fear. Show mercy mixed with fear. So eight exhortations. The rhetorical effect of having this doxology immediately follow the exhortations is on purpose. The author is doing it deliberately. He puts the eight exhortations, and then he closes with the doxology right afterwards. Uh, The Expositor's Bible Commentary says it like this. After all has been humanly done to safeguard against the cancer of apostasy, in the end, it is the power of Almighty God, our Savior, mediated through Jesus Christ, that is able to keep you from falling. So in other words, the, the, the author is trying to say, this is your part. Do these eight exhortations. But at the end of the day, it's not these you obeying these eight exhortations that is going to keep you from falling. It is the power of God that ultimately keeps you from falling. You got to do your part. God will do his. But the bigger part is God. It's his keeping power that guards you against false teaching. What is ultimately responsible for our perseverance is not our efforts. It is the keeping power of God. Now, does that negate our efforts? No. The exhortations are given because we have a responsibility for our part. But the author wants you to understand that it is the keeping power that keeps you from falling. Now, let me preach here a little bit. Let me take this time to talk about the keeping power of God. You see, in the church, we celebrate the saving power of God, the power of God to heal, deliver, to save the drug addict, to deliver the thief, to heal the adulterer. We love the testimonies of people who used to smoke weed, have all kinds of sex, go clubbing. People who used to live in sin and rebellion. People like Pastors Caleb and Mina and Aaron and Diddy. (laughs) Now, we celebrate these testimonies because, man, they're fun to hear, right? They're fun to listen to. But you know what? We rarely celebrate the testimonies of people like Pastor John Newfill, John Michael, Benjamin Robinson, and Christian Lee. people who have walked with the Lord faithfully over the years, people who have shared the gospel and brought many to Christ, people who have never had sex in their life and they were virgins when they got married. We don't seem to celebrate that. You know, I love the saving power of God, but let me talk to you today about the keeping power of God. Because the same God who has forgiven Pastor Caleb of a multitude of sins it's the same God who has kept Pastor Christian from a multitude of sins. <laughs> Hallelujah. Talk about that keeping power. And don't be deceived into thinking that those who have walked faithfully over the years have boring testimonies. Boring lives. They were just good, goodie 2 shoe Christians. And we think when we evangelize, we don't have a testimony to tell. Who wants to hear my boring testimony? Don't be deceived into thinking that way. You know, those whose lives exhibit the keeping power of God, they're the most exciting lives on the earth. When you walk faithfully before God, when you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, your life is anything but boring. You know, think about it. You think getting drunk at a club, hollering at some girls, and then running away from Vietnamese gang is exciting. I mean, it might be exciting to watch it as a scene of a movie. But when you're the one running away from those Vietnamese gangsters, all right, that's not, that's not exciting. That's foolishness. You can get yourself killed. You know, let me, my freshman year, despite the keeping power of God, I did slip into a, a moment of foolishness. During my f- freshman year, I went to a club. I went to New York University, I was part of uh, the Stern School of Business, and Stern threw this uh, club for uh, all the students at the Flamingo Club, I don't know if it's still there, and uh, you know, the moment we got there, the upperclassmen, they are waiting for us, they're like, oh freshmen, freshmen, come here, come here, come here, and we were like, we're all wondering like, oh man, I don't have a fake ID, how am I going to get a drink, all this stuff, the moment we get in there, they're like, here, put these bracelets on, hurry up, hurry up, So they gave us all like these bracelets that pretty much give you free drinks all night. And some of my classmates, my freshman classmates, they have never really had that freedom to just drink at will. So man, when they got that bracelet, it was like, yeah! (laughs) And they just started drinking the night away. it was crazy. And at the end of the night, we had to go home, but everybody was pissed drunk. Everybody was drunk all over the place. I had to look for all my friends. I'm sorry about using that word. They were drunk. They were very drunk. And my concern was especially for, for the women. So I started looking for all the uh, freshman sisters, freshman girls, especially even the Christian girls that were there. You know, And uh, they were they're all drunk. They were all drunk everywhere. Some of them were in the bathroom throwing up. I mean, and so I start carrying them one by one out, out to the, um, and putting them in taxi and, and make sure they go home safely. And so I carry one of my um, Taiwanese friends out the club doors, and then I try to go back to get some of my other friends. And then this big black bouncer, he stands at the door, and he closes it. He says, no reentry. So I say, hey, 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 man, I don't think you understand here, man. I got some friends in here. I got some lady friends in here. And they're really drunk and they need my help. I need to get them home. I, make sure, I just want to make sure they go home safely. He's like, no reentry." entry I said, all right, all right, all right. Okay, all right. I don't need, I'll need on that. All right, okay. I just kind of backed off. And then my Taiwanese friend, who was really drunk, she comes out of nowhere and she's all like, hey, what's the problem? Hey, let my friend back in. All right, what's, what's, your, what's your problem? And then the bouncer was like, hey, get out of here, little girl. And he grabbed her arm. When I saw that, I, I, like, ran over to him, and I was like, get your hands off. I was like, I was just like, get your hand!" and boom, I got knocked out. Like, something, I got knocked out. Now, the, the weird thing was, I didn't fall to the ground, but I, I got knocked out, and I was like this, and I, and I came, I blacked out, and I came to, and I was hunched over like this, and then there was blood squirting out of my chin. Because his ring or whatever, it nicked my uh, chin. He hit it so hard that, you know, he knocked me out, but he also cut my chin. So it's bleeding. And I was like, I'm, I'm hurt. <laughs> but I don't feel, I, feel, I don't feel anything. I just have adrenaline rushing. I'm like, wait, did he just sucker punch me? And I just, my adrenaline started kicking in. And I got so angry, right? I just started throwing people. And I, and I, and I had my, like, wife beater on underneath. I started taking off my shirt. Uh, which is an A shirt, which is um, what, what, what do normal people call it? Uh, athletic shirt, yeah. Anyway, white athletic shirt underneath, you know, tank top, yeah. Anyway, and I just started like like this, and I just started throwing people, and I was like, come on, let's fight, let's fight, and then the bouncer was like, come on, let's do it, let's do it, and he's like much taller than me. <laughs> and so I'm like, come on, come on, let's fight, let's fight, and then all these other bouncers came out. And then they started holding him back, and then my Taiwanese friend was holding me back. <laughs> Somebody was holding me back, but anyway, they didn't, they didn't require three bouncers to hold me back. Uh, but uh, later on, I think back at that night, and I'm like, what an exciting testimony. God delivered me from that, from that, from that kind of lifestyle, praise the Lord. Now, nah, you know what, if you, if you think about it, that's just foolishness. Man, if the bouncers didn't come out and stop the other guy, that other bouncer would have killed me that night. Like he could have seriously injured me and I, it, would, it would have affected my ability to be the pastor here in New Philly. <laughs> I mean I could have I, I already had suffered a f- few concussions actually up to that point. And I think that's why I got knocked out so quickly, because cause he just he just dinged me a little bit and you know I already had, I already had concussions. I'm talking like I had concussions yesterday. <laughs> but if he kept pummeling my head that night, can you imagine the permanent damage it would have done? That's not exciting. You could have gotten yourself killed. It's foolishness. What's exciting about living life like that? Let me redefine what exciting is. You know what exciting is? Exciting is when you pray for somebody who's had back pain for 20 years, and then the power of God flows through your hand, and they get instantly healed. And then they tell all their uh, grandmas and uncles, and they all come to church because you pray for them, and they got healed. Exciting is when you're discipling somebody for two years and they're walking in foolishness and going to clubs and getting sucker punch all the time, and all of a sudden the breakthrough comes and they start walking with the Lord and start coming to Sunday Swim. Exciting is when you say no to going to a club and you stay at home to be with Jesus and you start excavating the treasures that are hidden in God's Word. That's exciting. Exciting is when you say no to the club and yes to a prayer meeting. You know, up at the club, people are all united, right? They're all raving and doing drugs and seeing colors. Okay, all right. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm your brother. I'm your sister. I love you. Yeah, we might be raving and you might think that's oneness. But when all them drugs wear out, where's the oneness then? When you say no, exciting is when you say no to a rave club like that and you go to a prayer meeting where there's true oneness where people are united with one heart, praying for a just cause, praying for good purposes on the earth. That's exciting. Don't let the devil define what excitement is. Because some people refuse to turn away from their sinful past just because they think the Christian life is boring. That is a lie from the pits of hell. What is exciting about running away from Vietnamese gangsters? What is exciting about getting sucker punched by club bouncers? What is exciting about waking up next to somebody you don't even know? What's so exciting about that? It ain't exciting when you get your girlfriend pregnant. It ain't exciting when you start seeing some of the consequences for your actions. There's nothing exciting about that. The most exciting thing is actually... The spirit-filled life. When you're at a retreat, and somebody who's under demonic bondage they start going bug wild, and everybody's like all scared, and you're the only one that will walk toward that person. Under the pastor's covering, of course, you have to get that person's blessing, and you go over and you start to do deliverance ministry and you start to help that person. And when you say, "I command you in the name of Jesus to stop shaking," Stop punching that other fella. Stop flopping around like a fish. That person, the demons actually respond. Why? Because you have authority in your voice. Because you're living by the word of God. When you're not living by the word of God, and you say stuff like that, it's not a hocus pocus, by the way. It's not like anybody who's a Christian can just be like, hocus pocus, I command your name of Jesus, stop shaking. No. There's got to be a real authority. I told you, right, my deliverance experiences. Right? One of the prayer team members... I will now, from now on, be keep unnamed. One of the per team members, you know, we were doing a deliverance session. This girl was like full on demon possession, like a demon manifestation. She was blacking out, just coming to, and she was just going crazy, bug kicking, screaming, was, like scratching people, talk, talking in a different voice. You know, we we're trying to help her, and I got tired. I got physically tired. Cause I did not know what I was doing during that time. This is early on, it was a long time ago, by the way. And one, of the, I told one of our other per team members, "Can you take over a little bit?" So he takes over and he starts using the same lingo that I was using. In the name of Jesus, I bind you. I command you to stop flaring her arms. And you know what happened? The demons in the girl started speaking through her and said, bind? What's bind? I don't know. What is bind? I don't know. What is bind? Does he know what bind is? I don't think he knows what bind is. Bind, 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 bind. They just started mocking him or her, whoever that protein member was. (laughs) it's embarrassing. Why why was he not able to see the same effects that I did? Why? Because he was growing in his authority. It wasn't quite there yet. Authority comes from heaven. It comes from your relationship with Christ. it comes from knowing who you are. It comes from obeying the word of God. It comes from stewarding the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When that's not quite there, man, you could say all kinds of hocus poisons all you want. You won't see no results in deliverance ministry. But you know what? That's exciting. When I a retreat, somebody who was demonized breaks out like that, and you are able to go over there, and you were able to help them, and you were able to get them healed and delivered. You know, a year ago, we are in Australia. I was speaking at a conference in Sydney. There's one teenager. He just started going bug wild. He just started kicking people. Like, people were, like, like on, the, on the ground receiving from the Holy Spirit. You know, one moment, they're all peaceful. Next <laughs> moment they get kicked. You know, it was mad dangerous. And so I didn't think it was real serious because I, I, could, I couldn't quite see what was happening. But he was getting really violent. And so I told one of um, our intern pastors, I told her, hey, can you go over there and, and, and take, contain the situation? So she goes over to help contain, and then the teenager picks her up and throws her. And so some of the other brothers in Australia, they saw that, so they grabbed him. And then he was, like, all cursing, f bombs and all this stuff, and... And he was I hate you all. I hate you all. You're all fakes. You guys are all fakes. I hate you. And it, it was definitely him, but it was also part that was not him. I think was manifesting demonically. And then um, somebody was like, just give him some water. You know, They thought it was just like a medical situation. <laughs> you know? So somebody gives him a bottle of water. And so I'm just kind of watching it now, kind of like trying to stay close. Because I'm, I'm the guest speaker, you know. And, uh, and then he takes the water, and he starts drinking it. And he starts throwing the water everywhere. <laughs> I said, that's it. I'm not getting wet. So I grabbed him from the back. I used to be a wrestler. So I put him in a monkey grip like this. <laughs> Gorilla monkey grip, right? And so I grabbed him, and he was like, what is this? Right? And I was like, yeah, I, you need to calm down, son. You need to calm down right now. Right? And he just started cursing up a storm, all this stuff. And uh, people were getting fearful. Like, they're getting freaked out. And I've never seen nothing like this. And so I told all the big buff Australian gentlemen, told them, hey, I want to grab them, take them downstairs. Pastor Anita, you need to calm them down right now. Go in there, use your authority, get them in the sane mind. I want to talk to the teenager. I don't want to talk to these demons. So they take them downstairs. We got it all on video too, I mean. And then, we, and, then, and then after I wrapped up the service, I go downstairs and he's there and he's calm, but he refuses to talk to anybody. To make a long story short, Right? I talked to that young gentleman, asked him what's the issue. He refused to share. I just kept praying under my breath. Lord, open up his heart, open up his heart. Next thing you know, he starts sharing his testimony about his father and how he just feels rejected, neglected, ignored by his father. And so I said, I said all right, well, you know what will really help? You know why, why these demonic, these foreign spirits are harassing you and controlling you? You're letting them do it. You know what the open door was? It's your unforgiveness the hatred toward your father. If you want to get set free from these demons, I invite you to pray to forgive your father. Can you do that? And he's like, well, I don't know how to do that. So that got us talking like, are you even a Christian? And we realized he was just coming out to church all his life through his parents. But he had never made a personal decision to put his faith in Christ. So we led him to, to put his faith in Christ. And then I led him to pray to forgive his father. Next thing you know, like it took, it t- by the way, it took about an hour and a half. <laughs> At the end of that hour and a half, man, he got completely set free. He looked up like, I feel different. I feel lighter. You know, and, and he just, like, hugged me, and he was just, like, really just touched by the love of God. And then the very next day, he was, it was healthy. And then a year later, I saw him this past summer. He's doing real good. He needs a little more discipleship, though. But he's healthy. He's not freaking out. That's exciting right there. Exciting ain't running away from Vietnamese gangsters. <laughs> exciting is chasing down the devil. It's chasing out the devil. That's exciting. The spirit-filled life is the most exciting of all. And so here, Jude one twenty-four says, To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. The word of God here says God's keeping power will keep you from falling. But, you know, some of us here, we have a very low view of God's keeping power. We say to ourselves, what if I have my quiet time and I pray and I go to church, but I still go back to a life of sin? What if? What if I am meeting with Pastor Caleb, getting personal discipleship from him, and I still commit adultery against my wife? What if? Or even pastors. What if I have some sexual scandal and I lose my entire ministry? People have a very low view of God's keeping power. They they have this high view of God's saving power. Oh, God saves. Hallelujah. I'm forgiven. But then the rest of your life, oh, good luck. And they have this very low view. You know, there's this song by DC Talk back in the day. It's called What If I Stumble. Okay, I can't. Okay. The <laughs> melody it's not coming to me. And the, the lyrics goes, what if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I lose my step and make fools of us all? Will the love continue if my walk? becomes a crawl what if i stumble and what if i fall so the whole song is about this question i as this superstar christian artist who's getting all this fame and attention what if i stumble will god still love me what's gonna happen to my life what if i stumble you know, in light of Jude one twenty four, the question isn't, what if I stumble? The question is, what if I don't stumble? What will my life look like if I don't stumble? Because I believe the word of God and I believe in his keeping power. And if his keeping power is strong in my life, what if I don't stumble? I don't waste my life with adultery. I don't waste my life trying to fix my fix up my marriage and heal my kids. What if I'm just obeying the will of the Lord and going deeper with him every year by year? what will my look what will my life look like then if i don't stumble? you know god's keeping power it was never meant to stand alone for us to formulate a doctrine of what if we really mess up and walk away from Jesus. Will we still get to heaven? That's what a lot of people think the keeping powers of God is all about—the perseverance of the saints. They think that's what's really, really about. What if I really jack up my Christian life and I really, really sin? Will I still go to heaven? Will I still have the gift of everlasting life? And they and they try to formulate a doctrine like that, but that's not really the issue. You're asking the wrong what ifs. God doesn't even want you to entertain these what-ifs. The Bible doesn't encourage you. Think upon what if you stumble. (laughs) Consider how your life will look like if you stumble. Because you might. That's putting more belief in your ability to sin than in God's ability to keep you from sin. I got so much faith. For my sin nature, it is so strong and alive. All my faith is in my sin nature. That is just all, that's just not biblical. We're, we're getting deceived into thinking this way, though. God's keeping power was not meant to just a- answer these what ifs, if I really jack up, if I still go to heaven? The keeping power of God was meant to give us confidence and boldness. To live this Christian life. Now think about the author here, right? Jude. He says, to him who is able to keep you from falling. Now why does he even say this? Why? Because look at the context, right? The church here is fighting these false teachers. They're fighting against the fear of being overtaken by false teachers. So in the face of that fear, the author says, God is able to keep you from falling. You don't even have to worry about that. Just do your part, and God will make sure you never fall. These false teachers will never prevail. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. The gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. You see where the author is coming from. You know, when we have, when we contend for the faith, when we contend for the faith out of fear, it results in overcompensation. We come up with all kinds of doctrines that the Bible doesn't even say. And, but that's what, that's what happens. We, we get into this fear when we look at these false teachers and we start to get into fear. And so the author is trying to liberate us from that fear by saying, God is able to keep you from falling. So, so he wants us to have a faith based contending for the faith, a contending for the gospel out of faith. Mm -hmm. This doesn't result in overcompensation. This results in bonus and confidence in the face of opposition. No matter what the false teachers do, you can stand strong in peace. You can stand calm and know that nothing that they do can destroy the church. There is no fear or presupposition that the church might fail or the church might get messed up. The presupposition is we cannot fall because God is able to keep us from falling. 1 Thessalonians 3.13 says a similar thing. It says, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. Now, what am I getting at? It's it's the latter part of verse 24. Not only is God able to keep you from falling, look here, it says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, or in the NIV, from falling, And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory and with great joy, or blameless uh, in the presence of his glory with great joy. And so it's not just about not falling. The author is saying, don't even worry about that, just do your part. God's going to make sure you don't fall. What he wants to get at is, what is, the, what is the ultimate goal of the Christian life? You know, some people think the ultimate goal of the Christian life is to avoid stumbling. To avoid adultery. To avoid jacking up my marriage. Avoid, you know, losing my pastoral position. Some people think the goal of the Christian life is to avoid stumbling. But the author of Jude begs to defer. He says the goal of our Christian life should be to be presented before his presence in glory, faultless and with great joy. That should be the goal of the Christian life. It isn't to avoid sin and to fear, uh, to avoid falling. It is to appear before him without fault and with great joy. Think about that. When Jesus returns, you think he'll be happy? You come before Jesus, and you're like, Jesus, is that you? And Jesus is like, it's me. Jesus, you look like a man. He's like, "Uh, yeah. (laughs) I took on the flesh of man, and I never left that body. I had the resurrected body, and I still have the resurrected body. Isn't that crazy? That the Son of God is going to look like you and me for all of eternity. Isn't that weird? Isn't that trippy? You think God is just like this dude with big legs, and no face. Sitting on a throne. No, no, no. When you meet Jesus, Jesus is gonna be a little taller than you or or for me, it'll be a little taller than me. <laughs> and it he probably looked like a Jew because he was a Jew. He was a Hebrew. He ain't looking like a little Korean. <laughs> and, he, he come and you see Jesus and and Jesus is like, Yeah, and you're like, Yeah. And you and first words you want to utter to him is jesus i didn't stumble aren't you proud of me you know like we think jesus is going to give us a high five for that you didn't stumble you didn't fall you didn't have to sing that dc talk song give me a high five no it's it's when you appear before him it is to appear before him faultless and with great joy now you might be like well i'm a sinner How am I faultless? How am I going to be blameless before him? The thing about sanctification, the thing about your growth toward maturity, there is a positional sanctification, and then there is a progressive sanctification. So the Bible teaches both. It's It's not either or. So the Bible talks about your positional sanctification, where God declares you holy as a past thing. It's a done deal by the blood of Jesus. That's why the Bible authors calls us saints, holy ones. Why? Why are we call holy ones? Why are we we it saints? Because in the eyes of God through the blood of Christ, you are already made holy. It's a done deal. So God calls, declares it, you're holy. But the Bible also talks about you being made holy. So you're like, wait a minute, I thought I was holy, but now I'm being made holy? That's talking about the progressive sanctification of our faith. Now, when we appear before Jesus, when Jesus returns, Jesus already knows you have positional sanctification. He's not looking for that. He's going to be looking at the progressive sanctification of our lives. What are we going to present before him? A life that just constantly was going back and forth or a life that grew into his likeness more and more and more? So that when we appear before Jesus, thoughts of shame are distant. It's just victory. And you could appear before him with great joy. The Bible doesn't say just joy. All Christians will appear before him with joy. Even Christians who backslide real hard and they were dealing drugs until Jesus returned. And they're like, oh no, I was dealing drugs on the day that Jesus returned. They will still have joy. Because they'd be like, oh, I was dealing drugs on the day Jesus returned and he still saved me. Oh, praise God, I'm so joyful. Everyone's going to have joy, but not everybody's going to have great joy. Great joy is going to be reserved for those who have walked faithfully before God and walked victoriously before him who is able to keep them from falling. Make that the goal of your Christian life, brothers and sisters. You know, that's my heart's desire, is to appear before him faultless and with great joy and it won't be with a boring testimony tell you that right now it will be with an exciting dynamic spirit-filled testimony with all kinds of crazy stories and Jesus will be like I want you to tell me them stories again (laughs) I wrote those stories by the way (laughs) but I want to hear them I want to hear them from your mouth I want to hear them from your perspective tell me them stories Christian I'm mean, like, well, some people thought they were boring. No, 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 I don't think they're boring. You tell me them stories. Don't you want to hear about Caleb's crazy life before he met you, before he really turned towards you? No, that was foolishness. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about that spirit-filled life y'all were living down there. 1 Corinthians eight. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day. The Lord Jesus Christ arrives so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The keeping power of God is strong, brothers and sisters. When we close our eyes? Thank you, Lord. You know, Jesus ain't looking for just a life that avoided sin. Jesus is looking for a life that has taken what he has deposited in you. And in cooperation, in partnership, through a life of faith with him, brought that work onto completion. The Bible talks about in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this. What is this? What is this? That he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let us stop having such a low view of God's keeping power. Let us have a high view. Let us believe that he is able to keep us from falling. Let us believe that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Your biggest worry and concern doesn't have to be an adulterous scandal. If all you will do is walk in faith. God will keep you from falling. God will keep your marriage healthy and strong. God will make sure that your ministry is fruitful year after year after year. Hallelujah.